0: So we'll let our children that haven't left yet go on to junior worship ages 3 through 3rd grade. And if you're a guest here with us today and one of those, you have children of that age range, just work your way in that direction. I also want to um, mention to you an extremely important aspect of our weekly worship. It is the offering that we bring to the Lord and we're making it possible for you to... Give your offering in four different ways. You can mail a check to the church address. You can give an automatic draft through your bank. You can go online to the website, click on give, and follow the easy instructions. Or if you're here in person, you can drop off your contribution there at the box. If you're not with us in person, but you're with us because you're with us online, like Brenda Faldorf, who is far away right now in Hawaii. We're so glad to have you here. And uh, those of you that even in other countries, let me know that you're here. It means the world to us that you're here. So we've got a lot of joking going on right now. You know, the preachers are always like the, the, the brunt of the jokes. This Gatorade or Powerade was put at my door of my office today threatening like they do with coaches of a football team after a Super Bowl to come and pour Gatorade over me. So a lot of talk, a lot of tough talk. <laughs> you think I'm scared. And then there's, um, there's some false news out there. Don't believe all the false news you find on Facebook. Evidently, there's some videos going around on Facebook of somebody that looks just like me dancing with a bunch of kids at our daddy-daughter ball. Evidently, some type of um, Photoshopping happened where my face was put on top of somebody's body, and this guy cannot dance at all. (laughs) I got up this morning... And I said, I must love children more than I do my image. (laughs) James chapter 2 was a wonderful night last night, absolutely. James chapter 2, we're in verses 5 through 13 this morning. So my original plan was to have one Sunday lesson since we had Martin Luther King Jr., our national holiday in January. And I thought, kind of like, with Jude we'll just have a nice lesson out of Jude next thing you know and so the next thing you know um, and our purpose was to to have an annual checkup as I called it uh, to ask ourselves regarding Dr. King's dream for us as a nation and as a church and as individuals how are we how are we doing in those areas and what can we do better but as I began studying James chapter 2 and digging deeper and deeper into the passage and as so many of you were so gracious to send me so much of your input and reflections and thoughts that I had asked for I've turned this into a three part mini series and it will conclude today for a quick review we've already seen in the first four verses first of all we saw That we learn the importance of seeing the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. For when we see the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ, it will put everyone else's glory, or not glory, in perspective. It will help us see others and ourselves appropriately. And then secondly, we learned in that section of scripture to acknowledge the problem. When that's really not easy and it can be met with resistance. And so now as we turn to verses 5 through 13, James, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is going to help us identify the solution. That's what we're going to look at today. Now, when, when you hear the word solution, you, you, you might be thinking, solution? We've been trying to figure out this racism, discrimination, prejudice thing in our nation, and in the world for centuries without success, what do you mean solution? It seems as though there is no end in sight. And there is a ton of opinions of what we can do here, probably. There's certainly out there. What's the solution? Is it is it reparations? We've been reading about that. Is it changing curriculum in our schools? Would the critical race theory solve these problems that we're having? Is it affirmative action? Is it having racial quotas in our universities, and our places of employment? Is it more protest? Is it open borders? Is it stricter border control? Is it bigger and more walls? Or is it no walls at all? What's the solution? Perhaps you remember in history the final solution. Just an all-out evil war that went to the extreme of attempting to wipe out a race of people through ethnic cleansing. And it's happened in multiple countries. And so if I were to ask you to raise your hand and share with me what you thought, your thoughts or input is, we would go on for probably a week. There's a lot of opinions, but what really is of interest to us is what does God have to say? What do we find in Scripture? That's why we're going to James chapter five, chapter 2, verses 5 through 13. Last week I shared with you, if we could only see the world If we can only see ourselves, and if we can only see others through the eyes of God. And this second half of, this second section in James shows us how we can do that. It shows us how to see through the eyes of God. Let's start with verses 5 through 7. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters. So he's trying to get our attention. Listen. Listen. Has not God chosen those who were poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name to whom you belong? First of all, I believe that James is calling us to see others as God sees them. And what caught my attention here in this passage is is the phrase, in the eyes of the world, which implies there's another set of eyes that we would, that we could, that we should see our world, see others, and see, our, see ourselves through. And it is the eyes of God. If we could only see others as God see others. And I hear James telling his recipients here, you look on the outside and because of what you see, you reach a conclusion that this person is inferior. You look on this person's outward appearance and you reach a conclusion based upon what only you see that this person is superior, this person is inferior. That's not how God sees people. And so he tells them through the eyes of the world you're seeing everybody just the opposite of who they really are. And therefore you are seeing people and treating people and hurting people by your interactions with them. Now I think it's interesting here How it says they were honoring those who had an outward appearance of being rich. But what's ironic is he says these were the people that were exploiting them. These were the people that were dragging them into court and blaspheming the name of their God. But seeing through the eyes of the world blinded them to the reality of the people that they were looking at. Now... I'll just stop and and make this comment because I think it's very relevant to this here and certainly to our society. We can make the mistake of going in this text with this direction. You see those rich people? You see the way they are? All rich people are like that. They're all oppressors. These rich people in this context were oppressors. But you read your Bible, Genesis, Revelation, there were a lot of wealthy people who were very kind, very generous, and were people of faith and love and goodness to others. This is not about all people in one socioeconomic class or a race or whatever class distinction you may choose. It's about certain people's behavior that we see here. And this is a problem we see today, lumping all people together regardless of, of who they are, whether it be their race or if they're people in one gender, or people in one nationality, because of some people and their behavior in that group. That's not how God sees people. We see Individuals. So that's, that's how he speaks of you're looking at these wealthy people in a situation like this and then he says and then the way you're looking at the poor you totally got everything upside down. He says in verse 6 you're dishonoring people whom God highly honors. Verse 5 the people you are excluding these are the people that God has chosen. Those who are poor in your eyes are in God's eyes Rich. The people you treat with contempt, those are people that God loves. They love him. I appreciate the input that was given to me and emailed to me by Amy Cox. Amy is a medical laboratory scientist and she works in the blood bank at Memorial Central processing test tubes of blood. She wrote me a law, and this is a a portion of it near the end, so I pick up in in some some insights she gave. and She writes these words, great words. I guess some practical points would be to treat everyone as if they were a loved one. And she said, at work, we have to remind ourselves that each specimen came from a human being. We sometimes forget that and just rush through the testing To get on to the next specimen without even thinking of the person that provided that specimen. We get reminded every once in a while to treat that specimen as if it came from a loved one. And it's hard to remember that during a very busy day. When we interact with people face to face, even if we're busy, we should remember that they are created by God. Just like us. That'll preach, Amy. Thank you. And James goes on to to build off of what Amy basically said. Because they're created by God, because they are loved by God, he says in verse 5, they are heirs. He talks about inherited the promised kingdom. They are heirs of God's kingdom. God's eternal kingdom kingdom they're not heirs because of their outward appearance they're heirs because they're children of their father that's what an heir is receiving what their father has to offer that's who these individuals are they're individuals created that person that you're looking at that's different or unusual to you distasteful to you that person is created in the image of God recreated here in this context by the Spirit of God through their faith and love in Jesus Christ. And so everyone that we see is of incredible value to God for two reasons. They're created in his image and reason number two, because Jesus came and gave his life for them. For anyone to dishonor someone else is directly dishonoring God. God. You know, there's a beautiful, beautiful vision. In Revelation chapter 7, as it speaks of, of the heirs, those who will inherit the, the, the kingdom of God and his eternal, that has been, been promised. It's the vision of, of those who have gathered together and, and, and we, we uh, worship with this passage early in our service. After this, I looked. John the Revelator writes, and there before me was a great multitude. This is all the heirs. They've come together. A great multitude that no one could count from every nation, every tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. So if you're not comfortable with people that are different, these people that are different, if you're not comfortable now with these people whom you treat with disdain, You're likely not going to be comfortable in heaven with them forever. But you really don't have to worry about that because you're likely not going to be there anyway if you don't change your behavior of how you treat others. Eddie, (laughs) that's harsh. It is. I acknowledge that. Keep reading. I'm not making this up. Verse eight, if you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right, but if you show favoritism, you sin, and you are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever, verse 10, keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. And so point number two is that we must learn, if we want to see through the eyes of God, to see our sin. This is what the text is showing us. To see our sin, to see my sin, as God sees sin. And here we see that God isn't playing. This isn't, this isn't like, hey, all right, buddy, Today's sermon, let's be nice to each other. Y'all need to treat other people kindly and stop some of this stuff that we're doing and leaving people out and and being snobs. Read this. This is huge (laughs) to God. God takes this very seriously. And some might say, oh, goodness, what's the big fuss? We're just talking about this guy who came to church. It's the first half of this text. And we had him sit over here and sit over here because he was dirty. He was smelly. He was poor. And but James, why are you so upset? It's not like we're killing people. And James says, you know, it is kind of like you're killing people For two reasons, not only because of the way you're dishonoring treatment others is just crushing people's soul and taking the very life out of them. But he says, do you understand what is happening is breaking the royal law, which we could define or is the same as, I believe here, the greatest law. You're like, of all the laws, God says this is the greatest, and you're violating that. And he gives a second half of that law, the law to love your neighbor as yourself. Did you see what James does here? He lines up favoritism, partiality, discrimination, prejudice, racism, snobbery, whatever word you want to choose, I believe these all fit here. He's lining them right up next to murder and adultery. See, in the eyes of the world, and sadly, in the eyes of the church, Sin is seen as in various degrees. We got these big ones, watch out for, We've got these others that aren't so big. There's a sin light. Some sin, sin that's tolerated. Some sin we don't tolerate. Far too much sin is tolerated in the church. Far too much sin is tolerated in this church and in the lives of, consider, of those who consider themselves followers of Jesus because too often we see sin through the eyes of the world well I know okay it's wrong but it's not that bad yes it is <laughs> I believe that's what James is telling us here oh if we could learn not only to see others as God see others sees others But to see our sin as God sees our sin, you know what it would do? It would take our pride and start crushing it. That pride that causes us to see ourselves as superior to others who are inferior. And with our our sin in view, it would bring us to the cross for God's mercy, which in turn should bring us to our fellow man, showing mercy as well to them. That's James' final point. Let's look in verses 12 through 13. He says, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. When I read that, I thought, what does that mean? Speak and act by the law that... Uh, by." Uh, Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. What does that mean? I thought, well, keep reading. I think he explains that by giving the inverse of that in verse 13, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So point number three, sure, we learn to see others as God sees others. We learn to see our sin as God sees sin. But thirdly, we learn to see others as God sees you. And as you want God to see you. The law by which we have been judged and the law that is applied to us, the law that gives us freedom, it's the law of mercy. And therefore, he says, that is the same law we should apply to others in our judgments. Not by the judgments of outward appearance and conclusions from that, but by the judgments concluded by the very mercy of God. Human mercy is the fruit Of divine mercy. And so it's really not too complicated. James is saying however you want God to see you, however you want God to treat you, you treat them in the same way. You want God to see you with mercy, treat you with mercy, do the same. And if you don't, God won't show you mercy and judgment. I'm not saying that. The scripture is saying that. Those are hard words. James is calling into question the very validity of the faith of these church-going people based upon their behavior and treatment of others. And he's going to talk about that faith in the second half of chapter 2 when he talks about, is your faith alive or is it dead? This sure looks dead, he's saying right here. Mercy triumphs over judgment. How do we understand that? I believe in this context it means mercy triumphs over showing partiality, showing favoritism. Mercy triumphs over racism, prejudice, discrimination, and sobriety. There's the solution. You see, the eyes of mercy see those who are marginalized. The eyes of mercy see people that most people don't see. And the eyes of mercy see people that everybody sees. The marginalized, unmarginalized. The eyes of mercy see beyond the surface and outward appearance, beyond the symptoms, beyond external outward behavior. The eyes of mercy see beyond race, beyond gender, beyond nationality, beyond skin color and sees an image bearer of God, known by God, loved by God, valued by God, each with a story. That's how God sees you. Isn't that wonderful? That's how God calls us to see others. So there is a man who lives in the Czech Republic. And he was part of the church where Karen and I worked for many years. And they're still a part of that. I want to tell you a little bit about Rostislav. Now, I'm going to sound like I'm joking. And I'm really not. It's going to sound like I'm making fun of Rostislav, and I don't mean that, or I'd be violating this passage, actually. But in order for you to understand his story, I'm going, to be, uh, I'm going to tell you about Rostislav. Rostislav was not, and that's not his wife, that's just a friend of ours. Rostislav and Maria uh, found out about this wonderful deal on potatoes and they each wanted a huge <laughs> a bundle of potatoes and so I had a car and we went and, and bought the potatoes. Rostislav was not homeless, and these two pictures flatter him too well, uh, but he, he certainly always looked like he was homeless. That blue jacket and those brown pants almost always is what I saw him in old and tattered clothes. If Rostislav washed his clothes once a month, I would be surprised. If Rostislav bathed once a month, I would be surprised. If Rostislav washed his hands once a month, I would be surprised. And based upon knowing his age... And based upon the history of the country where he was born and raised, he in his life had been beaten down and crushed and oppressed by four years of the Nazi occupation in then Czechoslovakia. And then by 40 years of the oppressive socialistic communist government of the Soviet Union, the man you're looking at, had been through that an incredibly hard life that wore him down Rostislav was convinced that he would be healthy and live a longer life if he would eat three raw onions a day and he ate them like you would eat an apple and he carried them in that blue jacket in his front pocket every day and whenever I got with the slop, I never got the impression that, after having ate an onion that he had brushed his teeth and rinsed his mouth out with mouthwash, and we would sit at a table close distance, we would have tea together once a month, hot tea, and we'd read the Bible together, and we would pray, and he would often bring a snack because he had spent that morning with three or four bags he was always carrying going through trash cans of restaurants or various places and sometimes he would just find a, a incredible jewel one day he pulled out I think we say in English Chinese cabbage that's what they would say in Czech It's this kind of Chinese cabbage you cut off the the leaf parts of it and you got that bottom core somebody had thrown that away he had it and wanted to share it with me I was good at that point <laughs> He ate it with his tea. One time, one time, pulled out of his bag, it was about this big, a piece of nothing other than pork fat. The restaurant that he got it from their trash can had cut the pork off to cook and thrown that away. I don't know how long he'd been in the trash can. I don't know long how long he'd been carrying it around, but as we were having tea, he pulled it out, got his knife and just started slicing it off. He's very generous and I said, no, I'm good, man, I'm good. And he said to me, I'll always remember, can you believe they throw this stuff away? At our church potlucks, <laughs> so think about that. It, it was a challenge, all right? And so I honored Rostislav because there was just a, it's not wise to have him grazing at the buffet table of our potluck and so Rostislav buddy you sit down and I'm going to go get your food and I, and I would bring it to them listen if, if there is a James chapter 2 person that we read about in the first this is Rostislav it was honestly it was a challenge for me and Karen to have him in our home we did but it was a challenge it was unpleasant to sit next to him in the worship assembly In the eyes of the world, Rostislav was a poor, old, dirty man with no value, nothing to offer our world, nothing to offer the church that we had there, unlike Dr. Pulkrabek, Dr. Pulkrabek was one of the members of our church, and he was a very respected doctor in town, and he was always just dressed perfectly, hair was just right. Rostislav was unlike Maria and Bohoslav uh, Janetskovi. They were, they were very gifted musicians and performers in the city. But one day, when we were having tea, Rostislav said, Eddie, I've got something I want to show you. And he gave me his graduation picture. And it opened my eyes to see Rostislav like I'd never seen him before. I just stared at it. And I realized that there is so much more to him in his life than what I've been seeing. Underneath and beyond the outward appearance of the dirt and the old clothes, the unkempt hair and the worn face, Somebody with a story known by God loved by God and evidently somebody who was probably considered quite handsome what was high school like for that guy? Someone who was rich in faith an heir of God's promised kingdom God taught me through Rostislav what the Spirit is trying to teach us here in James chapter 2 to see others the eyes of mercy and compassion as God sees them. Karen almost always says when we see someone who looks broken and disheveled, that's somebody's little girl. That's somebody's little boy. Most importantly, that's a child of God, whoever it is. And you know, I, I, um, I hope this summer in June... I don't have anything concrete, but I'm hoping to go to the Czech Republic in June to see everybody. And Rostislav and I don't communicate by email. Um, we haven't communicated in a while. I don't know if he's alive or dead, to be honest with you, because of his age. But I know this. I know this. One day, Rostislav is an heir, as James describes, of the kingdom of God. One day, I will see Rostislav standing with that multitude that John describes in John chapter 7, and he will be dressed in a white robe, with those from every nation, tribe, people, and language. And so as we look at the perpetual problems in our world, in our nation, in our churches, in our lives, showing partiality, discrimination, racism, prejudice, and we ask, man, is is, is there a solution? Is there an end in sight? There is an end in sight. The next slide, please. This vision in Revelations chapter 7, it shows us the end in sight. This is the fulfillment of Dr. King's dream. Beyond Dr. King, this is the fulfillment of God's vision for mankind. One day, people from every nation, tribe, and people, and language race, socioeconomic class, rich, poor, male, female, standing as one people before the throne of God. This is the dream that followers of Jesus carry in their hearts, a dream that is fulfilled as by our lives and our words we proclaim the gospel to the world. God has a dream. Let's stand and pray. Father, I could add to this four or five more sermons probably. We could talk further about how this applies to even greater degrees in our lives as individuals on a personal level. But that's where I really am thankful for you, Holy Spirit, that you take these words that I have spoken in general and you have the ability to speak each one of us, to each one of us by name and help us to see what you want us to hear what you want to change in our lives, and how you want to help us to become more like Jesus, to see our world as you see our world, to see others as you see us, and to see others and treat others through the beautiful eyes and treatment of your mercy that's been given to us. We come to you now and we offer up this song to you in prayer. And if there's anyone here that has come with a heavy heart or heavy burden and you need to reach out to someone in prayer, our shepherds are here to pray with you uh, this morning. And that's you, if that's one of you that needs prayers, reach out to someone, or if you know someone, I'm gonna encourage you to go to them now. Let's offer this song to God in prayer. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the senior minister for the East Side Church of Christ